strangers and residents of Angel Grove. Welcome to the Sentai Truther Club. I am your host, Grav, and joined with me is my lovely co-host, Kennedy, along with what, what? guest co-host, Griff Shop. Welcome to the show, Griff. How's it going? Oh, it's good. Uh, thanks for having me. Hell yeah, brother. What have you been up to lately, man? Mm, I mean, um, just out here grifting, you know? Uh, just <laughs> what, out here what, what can I say? Just out here grifting. Trying to, just trying to stay on <laughs> brand and uh, make, make it through the summer with the brand intact, you know? <laughs> yeah, for those that don't know, Griff yeah. Shop is the merch king over here who has been able to make like a shit ton of merch sales just off of pure memes alone. Grift, what is your experience with the Power Rangers? Uh, these episodes that you had me watch uh, for this show are the first ones I've literally ever seen of Power Rangers. I, obviously, when I was a kid, I was aware of like the Power Rangers concept and like the suits and everything just because of how ubiquitous it was in media. But um, my sure. my family was like my my family like only let us watch shows on PBS. Like they were they were those type of like luddites. So uh, I was I was not very exposed to like like cartoon shows or like shows on other channels. So I'm coming to this with like totally fresh eyes. Um, you know, definitely, uh, hopefully can provide a little, little different perspective than someone as yourself, who's obviously very com completely, uh, completely immersed in, in the, the culture and the show and, and whatnot. I gotta say, um, so you are a nineties kid, just like the both of us here. And, um, you were around for like the popularity of like Tiger Shulman's karate and Taibo and stuff like that. So you had to have known that like Power Rangers was kind of sort of associated with that, no? Um, I knew it was like, you know, sort of like martial arts themed with, and then they had the flashy costumes and stuff. But I just knew about the, um, the you know character figures and whatnot. I had absolutely no idea about any of the like content of the show whatsoever. Wow, interesting. That's incredible. You yeah. never had any like classmates or something talk about it at all. Uh. Not that I remember, I don't think. I mean, I was basically, I didn't start consuming, like, really consuming popular media until, like, the mid-2000s, basically. Just because, like, we were sort of in, like, a little little media bubble because my parents, like, kept a, kept a tight lock on the, on the TV and whatnot, you know? I was going to say, how on brand is it that you were a hipster in the 90s growing up? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. I like yeah, I was born in '92, but I have absolutely no idea about any of like '90s kid culture. I guess that's and, fucking and, like, wild, dude. When you when you yeah. think about it that way, you know, yeah. my partner Christina is the same way, and we make this joke all the time that she grew up in a bunker cult. Like when people yeah. ask her about stuff, she'll yeah. just be like, she'll just be like, she'll just be like, oh, well, I was in the bunker when that came out. You know, uh, <laughs> yeah. because like her her mom didn't let her have anything, you know, like in terms of like access to like anything that was like, quote unquote, not Christian family appropriate or whatever. And so like uh, which is maybe a little different than your situation. I don't know. But like uh, but it was like it was specifically like it had to be, you know appropriate in that way or she couldn't have it and so like our entire relationship has revolved around me being like what do you mean you don't know what the spice girls are 
Uh, yeah, I was gonna say I can't relate. I I seriously can't relate. Like my wife is kind of the same way. Where she, um, her media consumption though was the opposite. So they didn't start limiting what type of media, uh, she could consume until her teenage years, uh, due to her uh, family's relationships at the times and you know religious aspect to it. So she could watch the Power Rangers. That's yeah, so saying. she could watch the Power Rangers as a kid, but like. You know, as a teenager, they had issues with her playing Magic the Gathering, right? Yeah. I definitely remember that my parents uh, were, like, concerned about me watching it a little bit, especially, like, my mom was, like, a little bit like, I don't know how much of that show you should watch, you know, but then I just watched it anyway. So my dad was the cool one. My mom was a little bit more restrictive. My dad was like, as long as you're not saying the bad words out loud, who cares? You can listen to it in songs. You know, or, like, all, all that type of stuff. So, like, my father was very, very good about Like, I was watching R-rated movies. Uh, I remember my dad um, taking me to go see Matrix 2. Uh, he took me out of school. I don't think my mom knows this. But, like, my dad basically made up an excuse to the, the school saying that uh, he wanted, um, he was going to go take me to a dentist appointment. So, I got let out of school early. And I was like, oh, man, I got to go to the fucking dentist. And my dad's like, no, we're actually going to go to the movie theaters to see The Matrix 2. And I was like, oh, okay, this is awesome. <laughs> uh, so, like, there's, like, certain instances nice. where my father were, was, like, really good about it. My mom, um, it wasn't until my mom had my two younger brothers that she started being more protective of, like, the media um, that uh, we consumed. Um, my yeah, because she saw how you like, turned out. My stepdad did not like uh my stepdad did not like uh, SpongeBob. He thought it was really annoying. And then of course, this is like mid 2000s homophobia. So like SpongeBob's gay, you know, was a problem. Wait, that was a thing? Yeah, that was a thing. And then so uh, another thing weird. too was uh Oh yeah, and that's actually I mean, that's actually something we'll be talking about homophobia as we get into more of this Power Rangers stuff too cuz like this is actually like a whole story that uh, I know some people will know already, but a lot of people might not really know that much about. Yeah, uh, I, I think we're going to reveal it later on because it's more we'll of a later season thing. Yeah. Um, that, that that really comes to the forefront. Like, and, and then another like contradictory thing, IMO, was uh, when uh, my stepdad and my mom embarrassingly were judging me for putting on Dr. Dre's The Next Episode featuring Snoop Dogg. <laughs> My dad burnt me a CD with that song on it, and then my mom gave me, like, a super judgmental look the whole time. And then, like, the song finally ends, and I'm like, oh, sweet Jesus, it's over. And then he says, hey, 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 smoke weed every day. <laughs> <laughs> Just a super embarrassing moment. Gotta uh, respect the classics. For sure, for sure. I just wanted to say, you know, I... My parents, like, they definitely, like I said, they kind of tried at first because they were like, this show's a little violent. And I started watching it at a very young age because I was just really enthralled by it um, and uh, uh, with the Power Rangers. And the funny thing is, though, my mom said she could figure she figured out when I was watching the Power Rangers because I would close the room or the door to my room, which I never did otherwise. I'm like seven years old, you know, and it's like I'm kind <laughs> of like I'm a little skittish, you know, like and like I don't like I don't really like like being closed into spaces a lot and things and like 
So like, <laughs> like, like the only reason I would do this, one reason only, is because I'm watching Power Rangers and I don't want my mom to know. And so eventually she just gave up. <laughs> so, so you you thought you were being, yeah, you you thought you were being like super sneaky, but actually it was like a like a very obvious behavior pattern change that clued them into what was extremely going on. obvious. Yeah. Boy, yeah. <laughs> Dang, your mom must know when you went through puberty as well. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure. Speaking speaking of, of parents having different like sort of standards based on like where you fall in the age of your siblings, I'm the oldest of five boys. So I, I like what? oldest 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 child had the most restrictive oh. on everything because you know they're being they were new parents, you know, being trying to keep that shit on lock. But then, you know, by the time my younger brothers came along, they just they just don't care. They they watch whatever, they do whatever. There's you know, everyone has more devices, so media is so much more ubiquitous. Um, so they, they completely gave up. But I, I got the full brunt of, like, you're only allowed to watch these these shows because they're, like, you know, I I, I, I don't even know what the reason was. But it's, it's actually kind of funny because a lot of, like, shows, like, like cartoon shows and, and kid shows and other networks actually, I think, have more counterculture and more... Um, sort of alternative perspectives on the world that they provide than the sort of like state-sponsored media NPR shows that sort of toe the line driven by like the U.S. Department of Education or whatever. Um, so it, it like right. I, I, I have this theory that it actually makes people more conforming if they don't consume all, all sorts of media growing up. I will say, uh, since you were a big PBS watcher and stuff, uh, as a kid, what was your favorite PBS show? Because I still, like, even though I did consume, you know, content that was way above, like, what kids my age should watch, right? And, like, I was playing Duke Nukem 64 on the N64 as well. Uh, so, like, you know, I was playing violent video games as well as a kid, too. But I still remember, like, actively sometimes, like, tuning into PBS for, like, Arthur, you know? Oh, Ar Arthur uh, like that. Arthur, Arthur was, like, the, the primo shit. That was... Yeah, that was really good. Um, I liked Liberty's Kids Great back show. in the day. Um, it's kind of problematic now in retrospect, some of the historical angles they take on the Revolutionary War, but that was that was really good. You know, I was I was a huge nerd growing up into history and stuff, and and uh, that that definitely tickled that interest. Um, I mean, those are those are probably the the two that really really stick out to me as far as like my favorites. I think there was this math one. It was called Code Chasers or something like that. That was my dream. Oh, Cyber Chase. Cyber Chase. Cyber Chase. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cyber Chase fucking oh, rule, dude. That was amazing. Um, I watched a lot of that stuff, too. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I started quitting out of, like, PBS stuff, though, when they had the two Siamese cats on there. Like, there was a show with two Siamese cats um, that was just... It took up a 30-minute block where, like, my cousin and I were just like, there's other stuff we could be doing instead. And that's when we started like, okay, yeah, let's uh, let's go back to watching like other good stuff. I think this was also around the time of when Dragon Ball Z ended on Cartoon Network. Like Boo got, you know, Boo got murked. And um, right. so I was just like, Slowly huh, what, right. is, what is the uh, what is the other stuff that's going on in all the other channels, you know? Um, yeah. It, it's that weird transition, though, because I also remember not only like trying to get into like PBS shows around that time. But also, um, like, really delving into Nickelodeon shows was a huge thing, too. Because, mm. like, the Saturday morning stuff, like, you would always go, like, Fox Kids, WB11, you know, or, I don't know, Warner, whatever the Warner Brothers channel was when you were a kid. 
Like for me, yeah. um, it was WB11 because I was in New York City. So like, you know, you would watch stuff on there, like the Saturday morning stuff. But I remember like the evening stuff, you know, for like animated or kids content. Like that's when we started going into like PBS and Nickelodeon and stuff. And, you know, that transition from, hey, uh, late 90s, early 2000s Cartoon Network is amazing to like, dude, Nickelodeon, Fairly Odd Parents, Danny Phantom, stuff like that was awesome. And it's really weird to see like the 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 shift in the sorts of content that produced, right? Because like the morning kids stuff that you saw before you went to school or the Saturday morning stuff was always far different than the evening kids animation block. You know, like a lot of the stuff would be imported, yes, but some of the stuff would be American made, like Savin's content. Right. So speaking of Savin's content. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Savin's content, um, what were your guys' expectations of episode one and the lost prologue going in? Uh, absolutely no idea what to expect. So I was a completely blank slate. <laughs> did you did you have like any sort of, like you were just no feelings at all no positive or negatives you're just like yeah, no, i have no I, idea like, what the fuck to expect yeah exactly like i was like i wasn't even sure whether it was going to be animated or live action like just compl- i was like oh well, I even wow. Know, wow i don't even know what i'm getting into here like <laughs> that's crazy okay yeah that's wild what about you, Kennedy? So I had seen the uh, the pilot, like the the actual pilot, not super super long ago, and I remembered it being pretty decent. And so rewatching that, it was like, yeah, this is this is a pretty solid. Like I can see how people got hooked on this, you know, um, and like gave it a shot. Um, the last episode, I knew it was gonna be different and like goofy in the way that like cut pilots are. But it was like it's like night and day because again, like I say, the the first episode, it's like I kind of knew that I was going into something that like I thought was gonna meet a relatively high expectation, and it did. The last episode, I didn't think was going to necessarily be what it was in terms of like I th- like I said, I thought it would be like a little worse, a little lower production, a little goofier. Whoo! It's a little more than that though. <laughs> yeah. So the the funny part about like lost prologues or like initial pitches of of stuff i like to see how they went with one direction and what could have been right like i think as a person who enjoys sci-fi content you know i i very much enjoy exploring alternate realities right like alternate timelines and stuff like that so whenever i look forward to these sort of lost prologues types of things like i was a video game journalist at one point i was like an independent one didn't make like barely any money in doing it but when I was doing that, like, I would still sometimes investigate, like, hey, you know, what I would ask developers, like, hey, was there any cut content that didn't make it that you wish could have made it? You know, because like that, because you never know, like the product itself could end up turning out bad, right? Like if you're interviewing a developer in the moment of them creating something and having not quite been finished it, um, you don't know if the vision that they took that direction is going to be successful or not and you only find out after so then they'll they'll tell they'll give you like sometimes they'll give you like interesting answers there was one developer that told me hey there was that we were actually going to incorporate a a gunfight on top of a blimp in one video game and i was like that would have been really cool it would have added to the whole scenery and stuff because they were like yeah we had to cut it for x y or z reason so it's always interesting to see like would it have been better 
had they took it in the direction of the Lost Prologue versus the the original. So I was actually coming into the Lost Prologue with like kind of sort of high expectations. <laughs> and yeah. then coming out of it like with the expectations being met, but like in a really weird wonky way that's not at all like I would say positive and we'll get into it. Um but as for the pilot itself, uh I also had recently watched the pilot prior to this, like prior to us doing this podcast. I remember thinking it was decent, but I think in the context of this podcast episode and the way we structure this this podcast, it's a lot better than what I remembered. Because what I remembered was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. Now, like in the context of like, oh, okay, it could have turned out this way. Or also like, you know, did I just think it was, <laughs> did I just think it was good because of nostalgia, right? So like when I really put it under a critical lens, I'm like, holy shit, like this is actually pretty fantastic and like nothing else is like it, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I, I was very, very positive. So I think what we'll start is instead of like starting from... um like Lost Prologue and then going into episode one, well, kind of the episode one and Lost Prologue are very similar. There's key differences, but the overall plot structure is largely the same. So we're just going to go forward with episode one. And I want to start off at, with Griff's take here on yeah. the intro to the show, the opening. The opening song with the video and the actors and all that stuff and the scenes, the montage. What did you think about that intro? Um, shit, I don't know. Like it was, it was very, uh, like it. It was my first sense of the sort of aesthetics and the sort of like tongue-in-cheek, almost cheesiness that they were going for. And it, it, it definitely it definitely helped set the stage for the for for the rest of it. And you could definitely see how they had this entire like vision for the show that they were that it was it was going to be like you you could like fractalize down each section and it would be like and it, it would be in in line with his vision and the um, intro definitely you know help help set the tone for that yeah what were your thoughts kennedy uh i think the intro for mighty Morphin power rangers is incredible um i think first of all like it it does a good job of like explaining the status of everything to you. Um, so like if you're just starting the show, you know, a few episodes in, like you can you'll still know, oh, this is kind of how things are, you know, five teenagers with attitude. Rita Repulsa. Got it. You know? Um and uh uh and also like it's just a very hype intro. Um it's very exciting. It looks good. It's flashy. Uh like even by modern standards, obviously like the you can you know, see that like the cinematography, you know, like the the definition of the cameras and stuff, whatever, isn't as you know good as it could have been because of the time period. But like, if they like shot all those exact scenes today and like made that intro today, it would hold up okay. Like, uh, in terms of like, it's a good in intro for a children's show. Okay, so Kennedy, so just to clarify, like we're video chatting right now. And Kennedy can kind of see the look on my face, and Griffshop can also see the look on my face. But before I, like, get started here, I want to ask you guys, Griff, what would you rate that intro out of 10? Um, I'll give it, like, a... 
Give it like an 8.5. 8.5, okay. What were the faults with the intro that you felt? Like, put, pretend this is like an IGN review where you get like two positives and a negative. <laughs> are we, are we like using, you, using the, uh, the the gaming scale of ratings here? No. Yeah, <laughs> use the gamer scale. From from one to gamer. Um, well, like, obvi- like it, it was my first impression of it. So there, 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 there was a little bit of like, you know, cheesiness, a little bit of like hackiness to the... Um, to the effects and whatnot and it was like my first exposure to that so that's sort of like and like i i knew if it was going to be live action that's sort of what we were getting into but it it was it was a little bit like that was that was really my only like critique of it that it was like okay we're we're we're, you know we have a we have a relatively low budget here we're we're showing you what the deal is and then i mean it definitely set my expectations well going going forward but i mean as yeah don't don't really have any major like you know faults with it kennedy i'd say it's it's like a nine out of ten intro like in terms of like you know obviously like it is goofy in its ways but like it's it delivers what it needs to to like set you up for this show like grift was kind of saying uh i think it's really strong there's not a lot that i would change about it um i think that uh it's just like it's high energy, and like I said, it conveys a lot of information, which I think is important for a show like this, which, again, there's, like, a zillion episodes, and, and they know that, like, kids are going to start watching at, like, episode 12, episode 25, episode 4, you know? Um, and so, like, uh, it, it definitely it sets my expectations, right? I think it's just a really good – I think it's a solid way to, like, get us going. So I'm going to come through, and I'm going to tell you guys that I'm rating this out of 10 – an 11 like this is this is probably and and i'm gonna give you my reason i'm gonna give you my reasons why it's an 11 um and like i hardly i hardly ever think that an intro is perfect or an opening is perfect but this opening for the show in the context of power rangers as a whole and also within the context of like what could have been with the lost prologue and stuff as well. <laughs> I feel like this intro not only embodies Power Rangers in and of itself, like the feeling, like the 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 feeling, the energy that you're supposed to get out of Power Rangers, but there's nothing else like it. Like, like I was talking to my little brother about it, and he was telling me that he was like, Oh yeah, it's basically like because he watches anime. Um, so he was like, it's basically like in-person anime. And I was like, yeah, exactly. But then like when you really think about that, like what they accomplished here with the cinematography, right? Using the Japanese footage, yeah. how they did like the the essentially they built toys. They did like yeah. they they produced the toys first and then used it for these scenes and stuff to make it like fucking look amazing. Like the fact that they got they rotoscoped like uh saber the saber tooth tiger toy to look as fluid as it does as it you know runs across the field and then the american power early 90s like x-men level power metal guitar riffs on it go go power rangers all of it it's such a simple it's it's it is a masterpiece in and of itself and with the the amount of hype and 200 percent energy that they put forward into that that intro it boosts it like past a 10 it's like an 11 
and and that that's where i'm landing on there's very few things that i would rate like an 11 out of 10 um but yeah that's that's probably my only ever like 11 out of 10 that i've ever seen because like think of kennedy think about the shows well, that we watched when we were a kid that had awesome intros that we used to talk about dragon ball z's rock the dragon x-men the the animated series had they're all pretty good but none of them are as good yeah like i i feel like like power like power rangers intro to me is like the x-men intro and the dragon ball z rock the dragon intro poured into one with its own like unique aesthetic and vibe to it that is just not matched like nothing comes close in this yeah. era like I, I i don't i just simply there's nothing like it um here in america in the states of course you're, you're gonna see similarities to that stuff based on the fact that it's you know based off of a japanese show in japan but over here in america there's just nothing like it and the fact that they the americans put their own spin on it and it became like this weird sort of fluke right because they couldn't replicate mm. it they had vr troopers they had beetleborgs you know, they had a couple of other shows. They had the Masked Rider, which was like Common Rider that they tried to like make it into a Power Ranger style show. You know, right. like they've tried, they've attempted this multiple times and it failed every time. So like this is one of those things where it's just like, holy fuck, like we landed on gold, honestly, probably accidentally, you know? Well, and by a couple of years into Power Rangers run, of course, it's the biggest children's show on the air. You know, and I think that, like, the quality of this intro speaks to that success. Like, you watch this intro, and it's, like, it's really solid. And, like, that's, this is part of, again, like I said, this is how you're getting hooked when you just, like, tune in. I was going to say that the best thing about this intro is that you, not only is all of that, like, going on, but it's it's such an attention grabber. If you're flipping through channels and you're seeing this intro... You're gonna watch it. You're gonna watch like you're flip. You're if you're a '90s kid or you're a '90s parent, you're flipping through channels trying to find something to watch, and you catch this intro. Not only is it super hype, there's nothing like it, but it's like the easiest get, like right because you could be watching a shitty episode of the Power Rangers, right? It does exist. There is shitty episodes, but you're at least gonna watch the first two minutes for the intro, and it's it's actually I would say. It is a crime against humanity that Netflix allows you to skip it. On the same level that Netflix allows you to skip the Neon Genesis Evangelion uh, opening, it's the exact same. It's like the exact same uh, <laughs> level of crime. <laughs> so moving on to the introduction of the show, you have Rita Repulsa going, after 10,000 years, I'm free, <laughs> right? Like, right. Um, it's not yeah. in the exact same essence of the opening, but essentially Rita Repulsa is this space sorceress. She's a, she's a, she's space, space witch? witch. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's, <laughs> she's a space witch who's been... You're trying to over-describe a very, a very simple thing. She's just a space witch. She's like a level 18 spellcaster or whatever. I disagree. Like... She, she, you know, she's just up there in her space palace casting spells down to earth. Yeah. And like, that's the, that's, that's, that's her, that's her role. Um, there, there is nuance to her character, but you don't see any of that in the first episode for sure. Um, she sounds like, really. so she sounds like, so she's, uh, so to clarify, they use the Japanese footage of this villain, right? Um, mm. and, uh. 
they voice over her like mouth movements and they'll they'll script out you know what to what to say in those moments when she's talking her voice sounds like someone who smokes at least two packs of cigarettes a day and carries with them the rage of the proletariat within them because like my god (laughs) that's what happens when you come out of a space dumpster you know (laughs) just mad yeah i mean she blows it up too but what i mean that's in the intro but let's let's step ahead to like the first actual scene which is uh the gym and juice bar i love this location as just like a place that exists and the way it's presented uh, with just everybody just doing these weird esoteric workouts at the beginning that are all different from each other and stuff. There's just so many like details to that opening scene that are just incredible um, from the way that it's just like presented. Uh, and uh, I don't even know. That setting is just like, it's so fantastical. It just does not feel like a real place at all. Yeah, like- <laughs> I was just, really just, thinking, because like when they said Jim and Juice Bar, I was like, what is the profit model here? Like, what, what, how does this, like, how does this place exist? What, what, in what matter? Like, it almost seems like one of those, like, pop-up shops that you've seen throughout your, like, years of living. Where, like, they'll, like, do a pop-up shop and it'll stay open for, like, a month until business slows down because it's not viral anymore. And then it just goes away. But, like, this is the central location of where a lot of the story happens throughout the show. And uh it's it's so it's so wonderful, but like <laughs> it does feel like a place that in the modern era would survive on people taking Instagram photos there. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, felt, exactly. it, it felt like very like 2010s millennial like Instagram influencer like like uh, pop-up shop like you guys were saying. Like it's it's it would not exist in the '90s when <laughs> it's supposed to take place. It like, um, and it's definitely like definitely some sort of like like urban setting that would have been bankrupt within like two months of the coronavirus hitting. Like, definitely not yeah, a sustainable. Right. Business. Yeah. I will say uh, is though, is Ernie a gentrifier? Is there any what? I'm just asking. Is Ernie a gentrifier? I'm just asking. Probably. Um, <laughs> um, it, it is very interesting to see, though, that uh, on the Wikipedia page for this opening episode, this pilot, uh, it actually just calls it the Angel Grove Youth Center. So it's probably government subsidized. It almost seems a bit like pedo-y if you really <laughs> think about it, because like yeah. the gym area. Oh, God. The gym area. There. Jesus. Because the gym area is the primary entertainment. Like, that's the prime. You're watching people work out. Just like, that, that's the main source of entertainment out. at this bar. Because, like, yeah, you're, you're sipping on juice at the bar. There's, like, a couple of arcade machines or, like, one of those, like, um, grabber-style machines where it's like, ah, if I insert a quarter and move the joystick around and press the button or whatever, it'll the claw will just not grab the thing that I want. Um, a bottle of whey powder. Yeah, but like the primary entertainment is like people working out and then you observing people working out. Also, I mean like Ernie, the owner, is not fit. You know, it'd be one thing if he was a fitness guy, but he's clearly not. So why is he there? What's the incentive? I uh, emoji. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> you're you're actually right. I was thinking about that too. Because I was like, if he was fit, he could sell like his like 
workout or whatever, you know, like do that that grift. Or no, but like, Jason teaches out, the I'm class. I'm my workout routine. Here are a couple books that I've written. Literally, Jason teaches martial arts there. That's one of the first things that gets established. The Red Ranger teaches martial arts at the whatever this place is. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, um, like, like it's it's not like he's doing any of that stuff. It's like no, he's got the kids. Even like they're he's he's they're they're incorporated into the griff. They're teaching the classes too. Well, because he probably doesn't <laughs> yeah. have to pay them as high. You know, he just hires all this teenage labor. They're probably not unionized. You're just paying the minimum wage. You know, they're, they're not they're not experienced at negotiating salaries. So yeah, that's it's, it's the definitely Power part Rangers of the are definitely not in a union. No, you know what's the worst part about what you said, Griff? That's exactly what happened IRL to these actors. Actually, <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of ex- there was a oh. lot of off-screen exploitation and like yeah, not not a lot of control over anything. So they start off they're in the they're in the gym and juice bar. It's a weird ass environment. That's what we've really just been trying to get at here. It, like, it takes place so in much. California it's because too. It's so weird. It, 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 so like Angel Grove is like the the city that it takes place in Angel Grove itself is in California. <laughs> And, like, my idea of Angel Grove is probably, like, Metrop... Like, you know how Superman has Metropolis and Batman has Gotham and stuff? And those are supposed yeah. to be, like, the best and worst versions of New York City. Um, like, I think Angel Grove is supposed to be the best version of, like, San Francisco or something like that. I wouldn't say L.A. because every time we get, like, an aerial shot or whatever of that stuff using the, the Japanese footage... It, it's just not that big of a city, really. And it also it also just doesn't look like that. It looks more gray and like I don't know. It just doesn't, it just doesn't have that like it, it, there's no like palm trees, you know. There's no yeah. like you can't. It'd be really hard to sell it as like L.A. specifically. Uh, although you know, funny enough, every time they're like walking around on the ground, it's obviously L.A. L.A. Yeah. So it's like you know, yeah. like from the air, from the air. You know, because they're using this Japanese footage, and, and we'll talk about how this especially plays out towards the later in the episode. But like, there's always this like, the city looks like fucking St. Louis or something, yeah. or like Cleveland. It's not that big. A like, style. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it just looks like this weird, like shitty Midwestern fucking port city or something. Um, but then on the ground, like the 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 teens are like walking around, and it's like desert or like palm trees. <laughs> it's very incongruous in some ways, um, for sure. Like, I, I feel like they did a good job of matching a lot of things up to make it feel like this is all one thing. Yes. But, like, there's that is one aspect that always feels just, like, off. It's like, what is this town? Is this, like, a suburb, you know, outside of L.A.? Or is this, like, you know, is this, like, Detroit? What am I looking at? <laughs> yeah, the, like, like... The vibe I got from it was like wealthy suburb of LA, but like obviously it's it's incongruous, so not everything matches up. But that's that's sort of what it felt like—the sort of like cheer, like cheery demeanor, the like really bright pastel colors. You know that that was definitely very '90s. But right. yeah, it, it it definitely felt like a like an upscale like suburb of LA, where 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 this where this uh, hypothetical uh, uh, gym and juice bar would be would actually be open in real life. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you guys, straight up, I didn't even know it took place in California. Like, I, like it, or I'm, I'm talking about, like, canonically, right? Like, based on this Wikipedia article, the, the city is supposed to be located in California. I thought it was just going to be in some, like, 
made up like country or something, right? Like that's <laughs> what it just feels like. It always felt that way. Uh, it, it just really always felt like, that, like yeah. it's this surreal city that just kind of sort of doesn't exist in this timeline. Like it, it's completely like mismatch of like a bunch of different things to the point where it just feels like somebody made up this city and it just takes it's like place the Vatican. in some, some whatever New Zealand-esque country. <laughs> um, yeah, so, all right. So Jim and Juice Bar. So we get introduced to all the characters and they're all relatively fitness-oriented except for like Billy is sort of borderline. He's like taking his first karate class. He's trying. Um, he's trying. <laughs> Um, but he's also like, he's sort of like a little nerdy too. And like, that's being presented in some ways of whatever. Uh, and then like these characters that are sort of recurring, not really villains, but just sort of like rivals, I guess would be the right way to put it to these guys. Uh, to like, me, they they're sort of... com comedic relief. They're always comedic yeah, relief. But like in the way that they try to interact with them, it's like they try to like always like challenge these kids in some way a lot of the time or something and and I don't know. Sex yeah so so world. bulk and skull show up and like it's like that's what did you guys feel about like bulk and skull that's the next thing i wanted to get into um like I, just the whole thing with them is just like as soon as they walk on camera, it just starts playing like burr, 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 like the dumbest music. Like like these guys are like circus elephants that just like came out from behind the tent. And it's like the kids are like, I mean, in in the actual in the actual episode that aired, not the not the lost pilot, they were just complete comedic relief, yeah. just completely. Um, Completely incompetent, just just uh, clowns, like you said. Like I, they were, they were definitely more uh, f formidable and had more of an edge in the um, in the um, lost episode. But yeah, no, they were they were right. a complete joke in the one that. that yeah, so like my perspective of Bulk and Skull is, I recognize like why they're there, and I think it's partially because I watched some of these episodes with my son, and my son laughs out loud at Bulk and Skull. Like, he thinks they are the funniest people alive with their gags. Like, it's just it's just a thousand percent. Uh, like, he, he just loves those characters. So, like, I totally, totally get why Bulk and Skull are there. Um, however, they play... Because the five teenagers that are the Power Rangers, right? You've got Jason, Zach, Billy, Trini, and Kimberly... They act like the popular kids, right? Because, like, even yeah. Billy. Billy is a sort of character who straight up, like, yeah, he acts like, oh, I talk in college-level language. I'm only in the 11th grade, supposedly, right? Like, even though he talks like that, he's still, like, actively, like, being helped by the quote-unquote cool kids. And these cool kids are supposed to be paragons of good. And so, like, the bullies try and bully these kids, but they're like, nah, dude, we got our shit together. You're the, you're the insecure ones, you know? Well, yeah, because cause the, the bullies, you know, they're never the, like, actual popular kids. Like, now the popular kids, at least in media, are the sort of, like, magnanimous people who are good at everything and, and, and you know, know, know how to, like, like use like use social cues and whatnot. They're like they're 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 very like 
very like socially attuned and, and use that to their advantage. Whereas the bullies are obviously outsiders. Like they're they're not they're 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 not the cool kids, the 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 in crowd. Um, and they sort of resent that and don't know how to make make it up so that they, they yeah lash out I think there for a first appearance on a comedic relief on an early 90s show that kind of sort of has never been done before I think relating to 90s kids like elementary school humor they're good you know like there's not too much character development beyond that a lot I think in general the five teenagers in this show as they're presented in this pilot, are very one note right like jason is clearly like the leader-esque character gives the rest of them like inspiration and orders on what to do and etc right right um zach is the cool black guy right like that's just that's just how he's played up period i mean we're not we're not trying to i mean it's it's an extremely tokenized character like it's just it is what it is yeah the the, the <laughs> whole the whole thing about power rangers is that it exhibits that 90s uh, racial blindness that the liberals were pushing at the time, right? Because this is Bill, this is early Bill Clinton years that they were filming this. Yeah. So it has that like we are going to, um, you know, through diversity we're going to solve everything, sort of dynamic. Right. So you have a lot of tokenized characters here. So like Zach knows kung fu, like the rest of these characters do, except for Billy. But the thing about Zach is he can break dance. So he's going to incorporate a lot of his like hip hop moves into his fighting style. And that's his shtick. Right. And like, that's how they present them as Trini is another tokenized sort of character, but in a worse way, because instead of like appearing cool yeah. as cool as Zach is, they blatantly commit a racism and have her casted as the yellow ranger. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, Zach's the black ranger too. It's just fucked up. obviously on that front like like they they really made some poor choices there and also just like the Trini character especially at first I think eventually like they give her a little bit more room to run but at first it's just like when when you say that they're one note I would say uh, maybe the characters are all two note except for Trini who is like it's just like given this extremely just like non-role especially at the beginning here like i say it, it gets a little better as it goes but in the beginning it's like she does not have a character her character is asian stuff like <laughs> when they describe her like best qualities uh when they're doing like all of the characters best qualities towards the end of the episode it's like and trini is peaceful inside and something it, like like she's like a like, peaceful soul on. or whatever it's yeah, like, like it's something like <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of like racial stereotypes that are played up for quote unquote positive qualities in the characters here for for Zach and Trini. Trini, I will say that I agree that the characters are maybe two note from the jump in a sense that like they don't completely fit into traditional stereotypes that are observed by American television and the fact that they're all kind of like trying to be the best version of themselves actively and will like self-crit which is like yeah. hugely important right um and i feel like that lesson gets lost on certain people i feel like trini might be a three note character in my eyes i feel like she's not one note because she plays into like this asian sort of stereotype but i think they try and hamper the racial stereotyping 
by playing it up for positives. Because, like, she's the only one that's actively able to translate Billy. Like, Billy will say some shit, and then Trini will just be like, he means this. And it's just like, yeah, yeah like, that's Trini's job as, like, Billy's translator and stuff. But I think because of that, her character is weirdly, like, super close to Billy. Because I think Billy felt like felt like an outcast from the jump, especially starting at this episode, right? Because in this episode, he doesn't have confidence. In this episode, he's that weird nerd that somehow landed in the cool kids club, right? As, like, maybe yeah, so, and- maybe someone that they copied homework off of that they did that off screen, right? You know? Right, <laughs> so- and the rest of them already kind of, like, know martial arts. He's just starting to learn them. Yeah. You know? Trini's relationship to Billy, I feel, is what really drives Trini going forward. Um, is very nice. I want to talk about, so, one of the first things that happens after, like, so, basically, they go straight from the, the juice bar to Zordon's lair, or whatever you want to call it. I don't know what. What are you supposed to call it? It's exactly. just the command center. Uh, the command center, yeah. Um, so uh, Zordon just like teleports them because there's a news thing about how Rita Repulsa is freed and she's going to destroy the Earth or whatever. Dude, no, um, it's a, way more important than that. There's an earthquake. It's more important than that, but I wanted to... Uh, well, we could get into it. Let's get it. Fine, fine. So, so Rita Repulsa is like revealed to be back because of like, you know, they're all watching this, like, shit on live television. So, like, this shit that we see at the very beginning in the intro, it turns out that's, like, everybody saw that in the world on live TV. Um, she's, like, actively <laughs> like, fucking shit up. Like, she, like, like yeah. casts, like, beams from her staff that, like, just completely obliterates cities across the, the across the earth. And it's, yeah, like, it's, fucking wild. It's bad. Yeah. Um, and so, like, it's like the, the everything's shaking. They're all freaking out. What's happening? What's happening? And then the kids get teleported to Zordon's fucking lair. Uh, and uh, this is one of the parts that I think is f- really funny because, like, Zordon just manipulates these kids into, like, becoming the Power Rangers. So, like, straight up. Like, he acts like he's giving them a choice, but then he just fucks with them, like, nonstop until they're doing what he wants. And it's like a really, I don't know, just, like something about like the initial. He just dumps all this. He just dumps all this shit on them, and then when they're like, "Whoa, this is too much. This is too weird. I can't handle this," and walk out, he's just like, "No, they'll they'll come around. I know what I'm doing here." So like he he knows that he's put them in this place where like due to their I guess morals that they can't once the fight presents itself they can't turn away because they've been bequeathed this power to stop things. So he's, he's sort of put them in this situation where that he, he, he knows that their conscience won't, won't allow them to walk away and, and they can fight the fight on his behalf. He kind of treats them as if they're like, uh, what, uh, damn dude, I'm losing my nerd credit. Uh, <laughs> Star Wars episode four, uh, Luke Skywalker. They kind he kind of treats them all as if they're all Luke Skywalker in a way as if they like (laughs) exhibit the best of the best morals and haven't been jaded by society yet he specifically asks for teenagers with attitude like yeah he specifically asked for teenagers (laughs) twa alpha Alpha makes a complaint about the fact that he wants teenagers in fact like there's a whole a whole bit (laughs) a bit (laughs) Uh, but yeah so um but it's just kind of funny because it's like 
he he's like he's just like okay if you want to leave you can go but then it's like they're just lost in the middle of some fucking desert and they're like okay <laughs> where are we and and Zordon's just like I'm not gonna help you like you have to become the Power Rangers if you want my help like it's kind of fucked up you know like I always laugh at that when I'm watching that oh he's just like yeah you're the Power Rangers now uh, whether you like it or not. <laughs> Um. <laughs> yeah, so when Zordon like teleports these teenagers into the command center, uh, he's basically explaining to them how they exhibit like all these features of prehistoric dinosaurs. <laughs> and the reactions are so mixed. So like a couple of them are like, oh yeah, dude, I totally vibe with this. Let's go. Oh, dinosaurs are cool. And then some of them are like, what the f yeah. dinosaurs? Get the fuck out yeah, of here. This, this is too weird for me. I'm, Kimberly I'm... straight up goes, dinosaurs? I'm like, you've never heard of dinosaurs before and you're in high school? <laughs> and some of them aren't even dinosaurs. Like Mammoth and Sabretooth Tiger, those... Those are like not a, prehistoric not mammals. Those, those are not dinosaurs. It, 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 pterodactyl isn't even a dinosaur. If we're gonna split hairs here, technically, technically yeah. not. So there's two two dinosaurs. Yeah, there's only five, only two. Uh, yeah, 40 percent. Forty percent dinosaur powered yeah. dinosaur. We all we all know how questionable yes. the 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 percent of forty is. In general, so. Google Google forty percent of dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> <All right>. uh, <laughs> uh, no, so like it's it's just so funny because like I say it's like Zordon just insists on like you're just gonna have to do this and yeah Kimberly is the one to initially be like nah fuck this and she is like Zach let's go and Jason like has this moment of like. It's like this perfect, like, hero's moment, you know, where he's, like, staring at Zordon, and they're, like, and he's, like, lost in thought, you know, and his eyes are, like, off in the distance, and he's just, like, they're, like, Jason, are you coming? And he's, like, oh, yeah, I guess this is stupid, sure, uh, yeah, sure. Well, yeah, I okay. mean, at the yeah. same time, too, the threat um, of world devastation, they're all just, like, nah, son. I, I do agree, Zordon's methods of picking Power Rangers is questionable to say the least he's literally <laughs> saying you guys are the only ones that are able to actively save the world from a space switch with like enough of an mp bar to cast like three bolts of lightning that destroys cities around the world you know so uh like it's kind of like they he, he put them in a rock in a hard place and they literally chose rock to like get out of there <laughs> and they didn't have a, they didn't have a way back home like they don't know where the fuck they're at. The way they get beamed, they, like, transform into energy. They don't know what the fuck is going on. And they just leap all the way. Like, they space, they leap through space and time to the command center. So it's, like, extremely confusing. And then we get introduced to two new characters who they've never met before. Complete strangers. Now, I will say, what are your guys' thoughts on Alpha 5? Um, I, I, did I catch a little, like, uh, old school Lost in Space reference with the, like, danger, <laughs> danger. Like, I, 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 did, I thought that that was, like, if, I don't know if you've ever seen that old show, but yeah. there, there was, there was a little, uh, there, there's a little Easter egg there, but it, it was very in, in line with, like, the sort of, uh, comic relief, uh, exasperated robot, uh, type trope. Kennedy? Uh, I thought Alpha 5 was kind of funny i also thought like the scene where they you like see through alpha five's eyes for a second yes thick vision like, 
one of my favorite parts of like the the opening. It's like this the Alpha Five's vision is just he just lives in doom. <laughs> like like <laughs> Doom has, is like, just real life if you're Alpha Five. <laughs> like that's what it basically looks like. It's just so it's pretty funny. Yeah, he um, sees everything in red and he has like beer goggles on. Everybody has like a huge dump truck. <laughs> 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 um yeah I, th I i i like alpha 5 as a character in a number of ways um and i definitely from the perspective of like being a kid especially like when i was little i loved that like you're talking about like bulk and skull like well here's another character that just like is meant to like make the kids smile and alpha five will do that. And, He's like, got those like big I don't know. floppy I like arms it. going around, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. And the way he just like dances around nonstop anytime anything's happening in like that ridiculous costume, it's like, He's like doing like bad breakdance moves <laughs> slowly in a robot suit. And it's just great. Um, <laughs> He's kind of appropriating my culture, though, by saying I, I, I. I do think that um, the I, I, I part about him dates the show yeah. as it moves forward because it just gets so fucking annoying. Um, but I will say, as a character, he's okay. Uh, I like his design. His design is, like, so 90s that it's weirdly cool. He's like mismatched Caillou levels of like <laughs> outfit wearing <laughs> in terms of like the paint job that he has, but he has a really cool like Mighty Morphin lightning bolt in the middle of his chest. Overall, it's a pretty interesting design. I, I actually really like it. Um, however, I don't know if my opinion on Zordon is going to be in line with you guys. What did you think about Zordon, Grift? <laughs> It, it was very like it was very like Wizard of Oz esque, you know, like the giant head and like the green like, to like like um, like gaseous like cylinder, <laughs> um, but like he he felt he felt sort of just like aloof, and uh, I was definitely definitely manipulative. I, I was just like, okay, like this guy's obviously like he's supposed to be like the good guy, but he's just he's just like not really justifying his positions that much. He's, he's just like taking a lot of things for granted and just like, Oh, this, this interdimensional space being is suddenly controlling five teenagers and basically like grooming them to be like superheroes. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, who the fuck do you think you are? Like, why, like, <laughs> like why, why, why do you feel you can, uh, you can, do do these things but um i mean like the, the the design was cool but i was just like okay i'm gonna need a little more info on this guy because he seems kind of controlling kennedy definitely like i already kind of have indicated i have somewhat similar feelings to grift in terms of like i think zordon is a little bit of a questionable <laughs> actor sometimes um and not just in this episode we'll talk more about this in future episodes because i think zordon is a questionable actor a lot um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I I did want to also springboard off of though like the cool design um I love Zordon's design I mean obviously it's very dated now in terms of like this would not be a cool effect today per se um but uh like it 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 is very mysterious and especially the way they do it we'll compare this in a minute to like the lost pilot but especially the way they they ended up going with it in terms of the effect it's like 
his mouth is never really moving when he's talking and like his face is just sort of like it almost looks like he's like shifting in and out of different like times or something which is like the perfect look considering like the backstory of his character and like what he's supposed to be and all of that so I, I I thought Zordon is like I think Zordon's like pretty cool and impressive in a way and he's sort of like uh the Wizard of Oz or something you know like that big spooky thing that's like, oh, I am here and I have power and I will give you power, you know, uh, and I, I, I like it. I got to say, uh, I have a vastly different uh, opinion on Zordon. I do agree personality wise. I feel like it, it, extremely problematic <laughs> at the very least. Not a good episode. actor. I'm just going to keep reiterating like, yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, he's just not... I, but, I mean, they only have 20 minutes to cram worth of, like, lore and stuff, so he yeah. couldn't go super lore-heavy in this one. Though, again, this is another differentiator between this one and the Lost Prologue, too. Uh, I hate his appearance. Every single time he's on screen, I get so fucking annoyed that his lips do not move. <laughs> That they just shift left and right. Uh, I think it looks super ugly. Um, and I, I was thinking in my head, like, what would I say to you guys of what would be a sort of better replacement that would also give that, like, sci-fi, like, phase through time look? So, like, I was thinking in my head, like, one of two directions. Fortress of Solitude from Superman, where when he talks to his father, he puts in a crystal... And his father will, like, address him. Like, he has, like, an AI simulated father who will, like, come up with new answers to help solve, like, problems that Superman has and, and questions of morality and stuff. Yeah. And I was thinking of, if they wanted to get really sci-fi with it, uh, Star Fox. <laughs> like, Andros, the end, <laughs> and the end boss to Star Fox 1 on the Super Nintendo uh, is, like, a pol polygonal face or whatever that's, like, pretty obscure. You can't really make it out that much. You can produce a similar effect like that that would still seem like it would phase out of time or whatever sure. in the way that you described. But yeah, man, I and the fact that it's like a chunky head too, a chunky bald head that's just floating in a tube. It was, holy it was, it was crap, very, dude. It annoys me to yeah, no end. It, it felt very like Big Brother in that aspect. Just this very like yeah. square ass head. But I, I did like like Kevin, It made him seem more menacing, yeah. honestly. Yeah, no, for sure. It's like kind of nightmare fuelish. If yeah. you're really thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, but I actually, like, Kennedy, how you mentioned, like, his mouth doesn't move and stuff. I kind of, I, I I like that because it's almost like if, if you were some interdimensional being from another, like, time and space trying to, like, trying to, like, you know, portray a simulacrum of, like, what a person would be. Like, there's going to be stuff lost in translation. You're not going to be, like, having perfect... Uh, lip 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 reading like like diction with that stuff like you're like you're there right. there's going to be some like disconnect between you trying to appear human so i i, I thought I thought that was a cool little touch i don't know if it was intention but it's almost like a bad deep fake right yes something like that it just has yes. that quality what if a 90s uh, computer what if a 90s and, computer did a deep fake <laughs> yeah right. yeah right and you know what's interesting about all this too is like a lot of the other elements of the show uh, are influenced by, you know, Go Ranger, the Sentai show that they took the footage from. But Zordon and Alpha 5 and, like, all of that stuff, that's just, like, straight out of, like, the minds of what they thought American audiences would want at the time. Yes, you know? actually. That's <laughs> like, really weird that... <laughs> when you put it in that context. Yeah. 
Yeah, like, <laughs> so it's kind of interesting to juxtapose that against some of the other sci-fi themes because it's like there's sort of like some different sci-fi themes that like I, I, I think uh, Griff actually put it well in terms of like, referencing like Lost in Space because like in a, a lot of ways like the, the scenes with Zordon and Alpha 5 feel very American sci-fi, yeah. um, whereas like some of the other scenes don't um you know and so it's like that's that's like a, a pretty funny aspect and of course we start to see some of that like not long after this because it's like you have the first um fight scene uh with the american actors uh before they morph and of course like they get beaten up by the putties um and so they have to de- they have to make the decision to morph but they fight somewhat admirably which i'm only making a note of because we're going to talk about the lost episode in a minute um so they they do they do their best but they can't beat the putties with their like just their human strength alone um because the putties are like you know they're made out of like rock basically i don't know uh, dude they're made out of metal something. there's like a metal they sound, it sounds putty. like metal yeah like they're actively yeah. like hurting themselves when when the regular like when they're not morphed it sounds like it hurts every time that they punch or kick them it definitely sounds like they're hitting metal the implication a lot is that they're made out of some kind of clay or something but like it seems like it's like a metal like a, cer- a metal ceramic or something i don't know it's an advanced it's an advanced space material <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh so they they kind of get their shit rocked and they are forced to kind of um, make that transformation um, and then once they get that taste of power they're just kind of like over their fear and it's like from there it's just like f- fight 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 uh, for the rest of the episode for the most part and and that's when we start to get into the Japanese footage um, and of course like the the transition is not even clean at all um, in this first episode they get a little cleaner as they go in terms of like Oh, look, you're actually fighting in an area that looks like the place that you're going to switch to and when we get to the Japanese footage. But for this one, Zordon's just like, okay, they transformed. I'm going to send them to fight Goldar. Who cares about these stupid 10 putties in the desert or whatever? Yeah, they get like, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. They get they get transported. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> like they don't even finish the fight. It's like they morph to finish the fight and then like because again, like this is just Zordon's like fucking plan. He's just manipulating them and just there's just his pawns. He's just he instantly teleports them to the more important fight because he's like, okay, if you're ready to fight, I'm actually gonna have you do the the thing that matters, um, which kind of makes sense. But again, it's just still so like crazy. Uh, and then this is to justify again like the footage swap because now we're in like Japanese footage territory, um, where they're like fighting Goldar. Uh, and this is all from, like, the Go Ranger show, um, and, like, I don't think that there's, like, tons and tons to, like, analyze out of every single scene here, but, like, I would love to hear, uh, from Grift, what were your thoughts on, like, the fight scenes? I, my favorite scene, probably from any of this that I've seen, was the, the dinosaurs, like, when they summon them, them just, like, the shots of them just, like, on the way to, 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 to join the fight. Like the oh the, yeah yeah the the way they just like like it just it just felt well, like really like it just felt like really epic and like I was thinking about myself like as a little kid I loved dinosaurs I was obsessed with dinosaurs like if I saw this as a kid I would be like so pumped just these dinosaurs just like charging across the landscape joining the fight <laughs> like the and just right? the way the way there was sort of like there was smoke there was haze. They were like the, the the pterodactyl was swooping down. Like it was mm. it that it was it was pretty fucking awesome. 
Well, and even the music, like the music so far has been this kind of power speed metal all the way. And it's just like, and like, but when the, when the, the dinosaurs are emerging, yeah. uh, it's like the, the metal, the, the metal slows down a little. So it's like, Wah! like some like heavy riffs. It's yeah. like the whole thing gets like, like extra heavy and like epic and like badass feeling as these like monsters are like rising out of volcanoes and shit (laughs) and like screeching in the smoke it's very impressive i I agree that's one of the best shots for sure it's very impressive Uh, honestly that is the best part of the transformation sequences out of all of them i feel the zords like the, the like i said the motion capture of how they did it and stuff so good uh and even like when you can tell that it looks like toys it like it actively makes me want to go on eBay, type in like Power Rangers Zords <laughs> collectible figures, and just <laughs> check the prices if you know what I'm saying. You know, yeah, so, yeah. Like, I would have been all over those toys. <laughs> <laughs> my son, my son is like, I want a Megazord. Like, let's go. And I almost want to say, yeah, you can have a fucking Megazord, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of the fight scenes, in my eyes, um, the in-person fight scenes are not good. In this episode in particular, because, like, there is some kung fu that happens, uh, but the putties kind of just grab them and throw them on the ground. <laughs> and they yeah, just kind of stand around. Yeah, and they're <laughs> just like, ah, oh, yeah. you've thrown me, you know? <laughs> they just cut. They just cuddle in a pile. Yeah, yeah. actually, <laughs> the lost log, it's way worse. Yeah. <laughs> it's even more, yeah. yeah, but we're about to, I mean, it's about time, almost time to start talking about that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I will say, though, the... The, the transformation sequences from regular in-person fighting, right? Because uh, suddenly, they're like, Jason's like, let's use our morphers, you know, because he was like, Zordon gave us our morphers, let's use them, and he just suddenly knows what to do. So they, they have that, that whole, like, Tyrannosaurus, you know, Pterodactyl, Mastodon. Now, that stuff, did you not pog off your fucking gourd grift when you watch that shit <laughs> dude for sure like i was i was this, like, like that sequence was definitely like they're like fucking morphing and shit and he's like power yeah. rangers i'm like oh fuck dude i'm fucking pogging here bro <laughs> when also when, the characters yeah. The characters, they each have, like, you know, you, you get to see each of their faces up close for a moment. And they each have, like, this really serious look. And they deliver the line with, like, extreme tenacity. So it's just like, you're just like, oh, man, these guys are fucking, they're not fucking around anymore. Oh, oh, what's about to happen? Oh, shit. Yeah, it's, it's great, dude. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah, the Japanese scenes, I think, are pretty great. Uh, there's nothing really, I think they're all right. Like, for a pilot... They're okay. Yeah. Uh, they haven't introduced some of the gimmicks that they introduced later on in the show. But I will say, though, an, uh, one of the parts about it that is very unique to Super Sentai and Power Rangers, or specifically Power Rangers to American audiences, is the whole, when I get hurt, sparks fly and explosions happen. And like that's <laughs> just something that's just not done anywhere, you know? like I don't see any other show incorporating that sort of stuff. So it's like, ah, yes, this is a kid's show. So instead of, like, blood or, like, bruises and stuff like that, we're just going to do sparks and explosions in the background, right? So that type of stuff's really cool. Yeah, you're just flying through the air. Yeah. 
and there's just behind you, and you're like, oh! Yeah. <laughs> it's actually yeah it's really really good now that at first i was like eh, i don't know there it's kind of okay but now that i'm thinking about it, I'm like i i enjoy that shit <laughs> right, it's good it's very good um the megazord fight i gotta say dude hype as fuck when they introduced when they all assembled together oh my god and like transformed into one and started like having a big ass kaiju fight so lit so fucking litty dude mm-hmm. honestly like yeah. getting the when they called down the power sword and the megazord starts yeah. using the power sword that and then goldar's like i'm out of yeah, here yeah that was like a 10 out of 10 moment right there cuz he was like Which, holy shit as a shit. storytelling i want to say as a storytelling beat they use the footage really well. Um, and like the storytelling beat of like having the sword come down and like like the Megazord picks up the sword and and like kind of like starts looking like even flashier and Goldar's just like, I'm out. Like that's a great that's so good in terms of like getting you to want to come back and watch some more. Cause you're like, oh man, the Megazord must have more power. It must have more power, yeah. and you just you just know it. So like, I, I thought that was just like a great from a storytelling perspective. There were a few things that they do in the first episode to entice you to come back that are very smart, and that's one of the best ones. Yes, um, is like ending that fight early, even though like it's like oh they ended the fight early. It's like no, this is actually perfect because it hints at like this is not even close. To like the scale of like how these fights are gonna be later. Yeah, it, you it know? De- definitely whets the appetite for more. Wait, I mean, yeah. especially Griff. I want to hear from you on this in particular because you have never seen this before. Yeah. Did you? Did you like have that same feeling that I'm describing? And were you kind of like, man, I might watch some more of this after seeing <laughs> that? Um. So like, there was that aspect, and also the fact that the main the main villain Rita Repulsa, she didn't actually do any of her own fighting. She just sent out her minions to go fight mm-hmm. for her. So I was just kind of like. Hmm, maybe in the future she could like we could actually see besides her just launching energy bolts from afar like actually see like oh like she gets into the action how that would step things totally it does happen by the way (laughs) um i'll say one more thing about the kaiju fight that i think is important which is one of the things that i think you know uh is special about power rangers obviously is this combination of american uh, footage and storytelling and Japanese footage and st- story st- ah, storytelling and blending those two things together in these interesting ways. And um, uh, in terms of the kaiju fight, like, I think one thing that's, like, one of the things that made Power Rangers cool was those fights. And one of the things that makes those fights cool is the fact that they're not American. Because I think a lot of times when you look at American shows from the same era, we had a tendency to make fights really chonky. Like, really, like, like kind of big guys slugging each other more so vibes but the minute that these two like the megazord and goldar start fighting they're like doing this like bruce lee shit in these costumes and it's so great it's because like it's it's something about that is so unexpected like you don't expect these two like like giant like creatures to just start like like jumping around and doing these fancy blocks and kicks and stuff and like really being dynamic. And when that happens, it's like, that's so exciting. And I think this is one of like the special qualities of the show, you know, because like that excitement of a scene like that, um, it's just, like I say, it's like, it's that non-American 
um, type of, you know, fight choreography at play. Because if, if Americans had just made the show, period, um, then those people in those suits, I guarantee you they would have been stiff and mechanical and, you know, more like slow moving, heavy hitting, just like punching, uh... punching each other in the face over and over again. Like some like Michael Bay Transformers shit where you can't tell right. who's who and they're like rolling around and like tackling each other and shit. The best you would have gotten is maybe like a Batman, the animated series style combat. But all that stuff's animated. So like yeah. a, like American, uh, you're right in that American filming at the time is very chunky where it's like literally maybe four or five different like wrestling and maybe like kickboxing moves. Right. And that's about it. And it's over. And in fact, actually, that's a big critique of like 90s American. Sh- I think a lot of American shows, but I think since the embracement of Tiger Shulman's karate, thanks to Power Rangers, that's changed. Right. Because right. like, you see that in Hollywood now. Um, where it's like everything is like some sort of kung fu, right? Like you need to know Muay Thai to act in this role. Right, and by um, the end of the 90s, I mean, gun fu was becoming like the the standard of action movie, you know? Like it, it definitely was changing. But when Power Rangers first came out, you know, like it was more like, you know, the sort of Sylvester Stallone just getting punched in the face 500 times kind of kind of stuff, you know, was like the vibe, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Uh, so yeah, I think that was really a, re- a really cool thing that helped make the show really exciting. What was your guys' opinion on Goldar? Um, I like his design, but um, he's obviously not really well realized in this episode as a character, and that's very disappointing. Um, especially because like he, you get the impression, oh, he's going to be reoccurring, which he is. Um, and of course later, like he has a little bit of personality, and like all the all of Rita's lieutenants do and of course it's the first episode so you can only ask so much in some ways but still like he's the one that they fight and it feels a little unimpressive like uh you don't really feel like they're headed into some kind of prize fight so to speak I love his VO like the way he sounds as a character I think is pretty awesome I love his character design uh but that's just attributed to the Japanese footage right uh I will say at this point they didn't use the right model for uh Goldar to to be gigantic because if you if you switch between like Goldar small and Goldar big Goldar big is like a completely different like character so I, originally I actually thought that that was like a minion that she just giganticized you know and Goldar retreated um but yeah. I actually like like in terms of what Goldar presented so far as like a right-hand man to Rita I was interested I wanted to see more, especially since we knew he was going to be a reoccurring character. I just think, like, some of the time that they gave to, like, the guy who makes the putties and stuff like that, that should have been, like, episode two or three material. Like, we didn't need to know um, how the putties were made in episode one. We would have been fine without that information. And I think, like, they could have given that extra, like, minute of screen time to Goldar, you know? Yeah. Um, And, like, I think it would have been better for it. Like, if I... I I'm basically have been doing almost nothing but praise this fucking episode so far. So now I finally have, like, a substantive critique, which is, like, cut cut some of, like, the other lieutenants talking and, and let Goldar talk more in the first episode since he's the first lieutenant that they're going to fight. I will say, I think Rita's crew is too big. I think she needs to, like, axe certain relationships <laughs> out of her life because there's, like, two completely useless minions, right? Like, you've got the two advisors, one of which is just, like, a court jester. Another one just 
like just whispers in her ear the whole time, right? But doesn't actually do anything. Yeah. And then you have Goldar, right? And then the putty maker. I forgot his name. Can't think of it. And uh, yeah, like you have those two who are obviously the most useful. Like if she cut those other two relationships out um, and then just focused on Goldar and the putty maker and maybe like you reuse certain scenes in a way to not seem as repetitious, it could have made a better storyline. But also... This is speaking from someone who is 27 years old who loves character development in television shows. Right. I'm sure for kids, like, they it's like fine. that mindless nonsense. You know, it's, like, just fine. And obviously the other lieutenants are, like, like you said, one of them is blatantly comedic relief. Like, they are cracking jokes. And, and of course, like, all of the comedic relief characters are there primarily for the youngest kids watching. So, you know, it is what it is in that regards to some extent. There is, like, I don't mind that character so much as the one that has the black hair all around itself and doesn't, uh, like, just, yeah. like, jibber-jabbers during the episode. Like, that's, like, to me, that's, like, a precious, like, 20 seconds that could have been saved for, like, Goldard character development there, you know? Yeah. I agree. I agree. After the big fight with the Megazord and Goldar retreating, the five teams find themselves back at the command center. Yeah. And they're finally convinced that uh, they need to continue being Power Rangers and uh, need to save the world from Rita's evil. So they accept Zordon's offer and under his three conditions. So they they went to the negotiating table and was like, not really interested. They did their right of, of first refusal only to find themselves stranded and attacked by clay putties. So then they go back to the offering table and they're like, yeah, we understand. We don't mind. And Zordon's like, no, 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 no. You can't do this. You can't save the world unless you, you follow my orders and you have to do under three. Uh, you have to do, um, you have to become Power Rangers under three stipulations, which is not to use their power for personal gain, not to escalate a battle unless Rita forces them to do so, and to keep their identities a secret, which to me is like standard superhero stuff, right? Basically. And then Zordon promises that he will be there to advise them whenever they need it. Yeah. Uh, there's, so There's not a lot else to say about the outro. It's pretty... Yeah, and then the show pretty much ends at that point. So what What would you guys... I guess, well, actually, like, before we start rating the episode overall, let's go over the Lost Prologue. Yeah. So <laughs> a, lot, a lot going on here. <laughs> <laughs> So the Lost Prologue follows a lot of the same rough beats as what we just described in uh, Day of the Dumpster, but it's mostly worse. I would say there's maybe one or two aspects that were slightly better or at least okay the way they were, didn't necessarily have to be changed, but there was a lot of stuff that was just extremely questionable. It's so funny because like, getting to the end of this, you know, talking about this, it's like, like I've been saying this whole time, it's like you can really see how um, the pilot of Power Rangers made it a successful show. But on the other hand, this lost pilot, whoa, <laughs> not good. Whoa. like Yeah, so a couple of the big differences between the lost pilot and the pilot that did air is there is a lot of different actor changes that maybe aren't as crucial. One of them is, but a couple of the others like aren't as crucial. Name changes, aesthetic changes, but overall it made for a very muted episode. 
Um, it's also safe to say that this lost prologue didn't really... It's not 20 minutes long, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like, like the regular pilot is. If it had been full length, whew. Yeah, because the, the way the episode starts is it kind of goes over, like, the history of the Power Rangers up to that point of the airing of that episode. And uh, Austin St. John and uh, the person who plays Zach, I don't have his name on me right now, um, they both kind of join up to kind of present, like, the history of the Power Rangers throughout time and then present this lost prologue. And Austin St. John, who plays uh, Jason, the Red Ranger, he he was slacking on the weights. <laughs> yeah, he had a little he had a little gut going. Yeah, yeah I was like, man, dude, uh, kind of sort of let yourself go a little bit, huh? You got a little chunky. <laughs> and what's funny is that he's God. the youngest. He he was the youngest yeah. out of all the Rangers at the time of casting. He was seventeen years old. Which was really weird because not only was he 17, which is grounds for like exploitation, uh, especially in terms of labor and payment. Mm -hmm. You know, my wife, we were watching some of the episodes past these two and my wife was going like, they do a lot of fan service here for the Red and Green Ranger. And I'm like, babe, Red Ranger's 17 <laughs> at the time of this casting. <laughs> nice. which, it's cringe. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, wait, I, I have an interesting question for you guys. Okay. Uh, was there anything about the Lost Pilot that you thought was, like, better? Oh, that was, I have, like, I that, like was it, that yeah. Lost Gem. Griff, you go first. I, yeah. I liked how they absolutely kicked the shit out of the bullies in, in the bowling alley. In, like, because in the, in the actual pilot, they just sort of, like, threw them. Like, they were very clownish. They just sort of, like, threw them down and didn't really, like... They they beat them up, but they sort of like let their let their own um, like attacks get the better of them, and then get them like you know off balance and thrown. But in the in the uh, lost pilot, they they were absolutely beating the shit out of them. And like con yeah. considering how the, the the bully characters were more like menacing and creepy, and they just like just downright more more villainous than clownish like it definitely like checked out because they were brutal they like they were just fucking like just just kicking them and and punching them and just throwing them down on the floor like just just going in on them in a way that they weren't in the in the original yeah it looks like a scene out of the warriors yeah. yes uh yeah like like it did or, or, or like a movie like that you know, where it's just like two gangs just beating the shit out of each other. Like yeah. that's 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 the beginning of the Lost Pilot, and it's in a bowling alley, and there's so much weird shit. <laughs> Billy's so much more awkward. There's like food all even, over the yeah, place. So, oh god. Yeah. Um. Uh, okay. So so you thought that that the gang fight was a little better. Was there anything else that you thought was better in yeah. the Lost Pilot? Uh, no. It was definitely inferior, pretty much all other aspects. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, Grav, did you think that there was anything better in the Lost Pilot? Just the fight, like literally just that fight, and the fact that they changed it. In, well, in the Lost prologue, it wasn't a gym and a juice bar. It was instead a bowling alley, which is much more believable. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of like where they spend their after time, um, and I'm pretty sure Jason killed. Like the bully, <laughs> like there's like one moment. <laughs> uh, there's one moment where um, Jason does a like kicks the shit out of the the groper. I forgot his name. The groper character, and like drops a bowling ball on him, and it's kind of insinuated that 
he like fucking dropped the bowling ball on the on that groper dude. Yeah. So I was like, holy fuck, dude, this is wild. Um, but outside of that, everything was just considerably worse. Yeah. Just overall bad. Uh, I would say, actually, I... Or weird. I, I, I wasn't super attached to the gang fight or the bowling alley as, like, being necessarily better in my eyes. But the one thing I will say is that uh, Trini's character was actually better in The Lost Pilot, which is the only thing, like, because it's it's less of just, like, a blatant stereotype, you know? Um, with the different actress and like like the way that she's presented as well. Like it's not just like, oh Asian stuff, like I said, which yeah. is like basically all you get with Trini, it's like, no, this is just like a character. So like if I was gonna say like anything that they like took a step back on when they made the real pilot, it's like they just made that character more racist and less good for no apparent reason. <laughs> It would have made for a very interesting show because they would have instead had to try harder with the way they wrote the episodes had the original actress who played Trini made it onto the normal show. Yeah. Um. So the the original actress uh, did not, um, the one who played Trini did not come onto the pilot past that lost prologue due to wage issues and wage pay that she was being given. Uh, so, which is an issue that pops up later on as as Power Rangers goes on, uh, but um, it it would have made them have to try harder in terms of the writing because instead of just doing blatant racial stereotypes uh, most of the time, they would have had to be like, okay, we have two African American characters in here now, you know, so we have to like be extremely cautious and careful with how we present this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and present these sort of characters. So, yes, I will say that she was much stronger. Uh, the, the original actress was much stronger in the, the, the opening pilot. Um, yeah, I could give that to you. Yeah, that's I agree. If I was going to give it anything, I'd say, yeah, like it, it, that was just like it, it wasn't just like a blatant stereotype character, like we say. So that was a little bit better in that regard. Uh, but everything else was basically I just am going to reiterate worse. So now I guess let's also go through. We'll just start with you again, Griff, if you're down. What were some of the things that stood out to you, like two or three of the things that stood out to you as being much worse uh, in the Lost Pilot? It definitely felt unfinished. Like it, it didn't it didn't conclude very very well. Like they didn't they they just wrapped up very abruptly. Hmm. It was uh like yeah, it was it was just a le- sort of less less realized vision. Like I, I know the 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 gym and juice bar, that, that whole thing. It's, it's corny and unrealistic, but it, it felt more like a entire like vision of something new than just like, Oh, these kids are hanging out in a bowling alley like kids do. And then, you know, like, right. yeah. So it just, it, it like the, the, the writing felt a little lazier, um, just less, less finished. Uh, like the, like you were talking about the issues with the, um, them trying to be more diverse, but instead being, with it with the casting but instead feeding into racial stereotypes more that was definitely a factor so o- overall overall definitely worse than the one that actually aired yeah that's 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 pretty much it grab did you have any specific things that stood out to you a lot <laughs> i i kind of took because <laughs> i've got a few too. yeah i kind of took a uh, meticulous notes here just because like i was like live reacting almost you know how like you have journalists who <laughs> go to an event and they'll be like catch up live right and you can watch them type out uh 
what they think. Uh, yeah, that's basically what I did for this. And well, since you have a ton, I'll give a couple. Yeah, yeah, go for and it. Then, and then you can fill out what I missed. Yeah. Um, so starting, so, so of, Kennedy, what did you find yeah. uh, that was different that you thought was interesting? A, a few of the things that I thought were absolutely just much worse. Uh, first of all uh, is Billy's character, um, who is just way like more nerdy and like just in like a completely unbelievable just like stupid way um and it's just not even like an approachable character really <laughs> um by comparison to like his his regular character is like oh okay he's like the smarter not as good at the physical stuff and like he has interesting things going on this billy just feels like like fucking dexter's laboratory or something um and it's just bad just does not fit um i thought that was very not ideal i thought that uh oh gosh um i, I thought that like the scene where the the teens faces transform into the dinosaurs is one of the worst realized things i've ever witnessed oh my god television oh, god. <laughs> um it's like this horrifying it's like this animorphs kind of thing and if y'all remember how horrifying <laughs> the animorphs were i mean uh, <laughs> seeing it in motion was a completely different experience. Like I watched that and I just went, "What the fuck, dude?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's horrifying. Like, yeah, you 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 saw the first couple and then you were dreading seeing the last few because they're like How the worst they one was the saber toothed tiger. Were, yeah, I think I think that was the last one too. Because yeah, it, it, it was it, a side profile. It was a, it was literally like a side profile, and they elongated her face. And she transformed back. That was the that was what made that one the worst. For some reason, for just her, not only did she transform into the saber tooth tiger, but then she transforms back, which the rest of them it just like cut yeah. to the next one. Like somehow the transforming back definitely just made it that much more horrifying. Um, it was just very fucked up. Uh, that was that was really bad. Um, I also think. Uh, I thought that uh, the the fight with the putties also is terrible in the in the last pilot, um, like the, the initial fight. Even worse. Yeah, like um, because like instead of it being like, oh, we are like we're tough, but like oh, these are like supernatural opponents, and we we just can't take them. It's just like the kids just like instantly get beasted by the putties and it's just like a very sad <laughs> and like not very like fun feeling scene at all. Um, <laughs> so those... and at, at one point, yeah, the, the putties are like dragging the, like they're dragging one of them away and, and, and she's like making like pleading noises with them. And it's, it's very uncomfortable. Just, yeah. It does oh, yeah. not make me feel good. Yeah. Watching that. Yeah. 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 Especially with Kimberly, this happens. This actually like happens throughout the show too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's worse than the pilot. The pilot's very rapey, just all the way around. A lot oh, of, a yeah. lot of, a lot of things that are just very uncomfortable in that regard. It's not good. Um, but the last thing I wanted to say for sure is that Alpha Five's original costume is fucking terrible. Really, I don't, I don't remember there being a difference. Hold on. Oh no! It's huge! It's huge! This is why I watched it today. <laughs> I thought I would write, write it down. Um, oh, no, yeah. yeah the lightning bolt is like completely different. It looks more like a transformer. 
and, and there's like circuits just like hanging off of him and just like cheesy <laughs> stuff and like the whole th- it doesn't fit him very well and it's just, it's really bad it's really really bad and like alpha 5 i think actually like alpha 5's design is actually pretty great like in the in the real show like i think it's a, it's a very well realized design and that like it's very whimsical and cool and that for the era especially like it was perfect you know for a kids show uh, but the original Alpha Five just looks like trash. Literally, like like <laughs> like it came out of a trash can. <laughs> yeah. So, Grav, what did I miss? Okay, so I'm gonna start from the very like one of the very top. I made a mistake when I watched this Lost Prologue by not skipping the spoilers. So <laughs> I was like, oh damn, I probably should. But I was so like I was hyper focused on the episode to the point where I like was like not realizing that I was watching spoilers, and I was like. Oh, yeah, this is Pog. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, uh, I find it very interesting because Trini being the person who translates Billy's tech talk is more seen as a negative because of the racial implications of the stereotyping, right? Because, like, Trini's the only one who's intelligent because Asians do be good at math, right? Right. Um. So, like, that makes it much worse when it's, like, an Asian character. I do feel, though, like I said, the Lost Prologue Yellow Ranger was much better uh, in terms of the opening prologue episode. Um, Bulk's hair, Bulk's entire costume design is much different. So, like, Bulk just looks like a loser. Like, just straight up looks like a loser with the most ridiculous fucking hair I've ever seen in my life. Like, just the absolute most ridiculous hair. Um... He just played as more of, like, a bumbling stooge, more so than, like, as an actual person who lives in a world that exists. Um, the the groping scene where they were, like, doing, at the very least, sexual harassment towards Kimberly and stuff was just fucking awful. Like, very yeah, uncomfortable, like- very, like, not appropriate for kids at all. Uh, so that, that was a, that was a thing, um... Rita opens up after 10,000 years of being, like, locked up in a dumpster. Her opening is her yawning. So, like, instead of her being uh, celebratory that she's, like, been locked up in a dumpster for 10,000 years, uh, she's just yawning. (laughs) She's like, oh. And her minion is like, oh, after 10,000 years, you're finally free. And I'm like, that's Rita's line. (laughs) Um, but Rita's still, like, OP as shit, which leads me to believe that she has a, like, sort of, like, video gamey magic power bar to where, like, it consumes a lot of energy to do these big-timey spells. So she relies on her minions to send out these putties and stuff to keep the pressure on the Power Rangers and see, like, what their potential weaknesses might be. So I thought that that was kind of, like, sort of confirmed in my head by watching the Lost episode. Um, Zordon's not called Zordon in the Lost prologue. He's called Zoltar, which, in my opinion, sounds better. But uh, that aqua head, dude, that underwater aqua head, it looked like they preserved, like, a big-ass human head inside an aqua tank, and it was somehow still sentient, which, just horrible. It looked awful. Um, in, In the Lost prologue, he asks for teenagers in a more obtuse way and it takes like a solid minute it takes like a solid minute for like alpha five to just be like 
Right. Teenagers. He's like going over like the entire like psychological patterns of like teenagers and all this other stuff. I'm like, this is this is straight he, he like, pedo shit, dude. <laughs> he was talking about how they need like self-absorbed people for some reason. It, it didn't it didn't really match up. It's like you're looking for people to turn into heroes. And you're 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 looking for personality traits where it's like you're petty and self-absorbed, and we're looking for the population demographic that exhibits those the most. Oh, teenagers! Got to get those teens. It was weird. Like, yeah, justification wasn't all the way there. Yeah, Billy's character in the Lost Prologue was definitely worse. He appeared more like Izzy from Digimon, who constantly talks in tech talk no matter what, and like doesn't really have much emotion. So I, I, it was just the worst character overall. And because the gym and juice bar wasn't present, Billy didn't pull a, like, I got to improve myself and change my behavior. He was just like sulking in his sadness of being depressed alone and somehow associated with this group of popular kids. I don't know, man. It's just the overall worst portrayal and the morphing, the morphing in this show when they morph into the Rangers. So if you haven't already like noticed by now at this point in the Lost Prologue episode, everybody's kind of just like so in the the compared to the pilot, in the pilot, everyone's at like 200% energy. Like everyone's like, yeah, let's let's go, let's do this, you know? But in this like Lost Prologue, everything is much more muted. Yeah. Everybody's kind of just giving like a 60% on average performance and it, it plays out everywhere it plays out in the sound effects from the zords it plays out in the actual like guitar riffs because you can kind of see like the idea of the go go power rangers like theme song but the guitar riffs just aren't as like heavy or as pronounced so everyone kind of gives off this weird like yeah this is happening to us and it's cool Right, I guess, and it it culminates in this transformation sequence where they transform into the Power Rangers, and you know they say Mastodon, Sabertooth Tiger, you know, like all that shit. Uh, instead, it's like Mastodon, Sabertooth Tiger, Triceratops. Billy, Billy, <laughs> Billy in particular is just like Triceratops. Yeah. <laughs> like Billy gives off the most incel energy, like '90s incel energy in this episode. It's ridiculous. And then, uh, and then it ends with uh, Jason just going, "Tyrannosaurus." Clearly, the worst performance out of all of them, and that's the one they finish on. And then it goes into this like slow mo of where like his head becomes the Red Ranger, part of the Red Ranger outfit. And then it just immediately cuts to the Japanese sequence where they're all morphed up and suited up. So just an overall like worse, yeah, it's worse performance. Um, and like I said, those sixty percent voiceover performances carry over to everything. Like it carries over to yeah the sound effects and the kaiju fight. It carries over to Rita. Well, yeah, Rita was famously she was fired after the Lost Pilot. Yeah, and they and their their feedback was like it wasn't angry enough. 
And so she, like, uh, basically, like, came storming back into the studio, like, I'll show you angry! And that's how we got, that's how we got the Rita Repulsa that we know now, you know? Yeah, it's actually oh. a pretty amazing backstory uh, to that. But, yeah, she just seems tired. She's just like, ah, I could really give a fuck less, honestly. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I, I guess she I'll just conquer the like- world. Like, like the the Rita Repulsa from the show is uh, like the the actual show is like a, a somewhat unique villain the way that she's voiced. Like, there's a uniqueness to that, you know. Um, but the Rita Repulsa of the Lost Pilot is just like any Wicked Witch character that has ever existed. Like, it's just not exciting. And it's funny because it's not a huge difference, but it's still all the difference. Yeah, and I gotta say, man, like the Megazord fight was still pretty pog despite like the muted sound effects. But the voiceovers were just because the sixty percent energy carried through. The the voiceovers during the Zord fight were just not good. Like there was a lot of like, "Ow, that hurt," you know, or, or stuff like that. <laughs> and then you have like when they defeat, and it happens in the regular show, but because Rita's voice is much different, it's much more like enjoyable to listen to. But she just says like, when Rita gets defeated, she's like, "Ow, I've got such a headache," you know. Yeah. Not good. No. Um, And then they go back to the command center and they kind of review. David Yost then, like, recalls the, the fights that they just had. And he was like, yeah, and I did a split like this. And he, like, splits his legs and hurts himself. And it's just like, what? Where did this come from? But it kind of reminds me, based on, <laughs> based on, like, what we know now, right, of David Yost and what happens to him. It's like, you know when you start a job? And it could be a really shitty job. Like, you could be at McDonald's, but, like, just the fact that you got hired is, like, an amazing feeling. You get brought on. There, those first, like, couple of weeks that you're there, you're like, man, this is amazing, right? This is an awesome job. I love it. And then you, like, really go, like, man, this is, like, super shitty. That was the vibe that I was getting from Yost in this episode because he was clearly enjoying himself in that moment. And he confirmed it, too, because I posted it on Twitter in the Sentai Truther Twitter, at Sentai Truther. And... He quote tweeted it and he said that was a fun day. And I'm like, I could tell, like you could you could see it from him and just knowing what happens to him as the show goes on makes it that much worse in retrospect. Yeah. But it was clear that he was having fun towards the end there. And it the episode, like Griff says, ends on a sort of family guy style cutaway where they all kind of just like laugh at the end and then the episode ends. Right? <laughs> and uh Seeing Zoltar laugh in that episode uh, was so fucking creepy with the way it was underwater. Horrifying. (laughs) Horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. So now that we've kind of reviewed the Lost prologue and the initial pilot, what would you guys rate the episodes out of 10? And, And try and justify it as best as you can on your rating. The Lost pilot is like, like a three or a four. It's really bad. It's very bad. And if like that was my first impression of the show, I would not want to keep watching. Um, if like if you told me like yeah, that's what it's like, you know, like if you told me oh this is the lost pilot, it's it's fucked up, it's weird, then it, you know it's fine. But like if you told me oh this is what the show is like, like and the show was like that, I'd be like nah, I'm good. Um, and and I think like uh, that's obviously why it had to be redone. And, uh, you know, on the other hand, it's like the pilot is like 
It's like an eight or a nine out of ten. I mean, it's it's really it's I mean eight point five I guess if you want to go there. Uh, it's like it's it's there. There's a couple of critiques I can make about um uh, the way a few of the storytelling beats were handled. But as I said, like it it really like it establishes everything really clearly. Um, and even stuff like the choice to do like the weird gym and juice bar, as much as we made fun of it, like that's something that like it immediately establishes that these are not your normal teenagers. These are not just your everyday like teenagers that you grab off the street, you know, that these kids are like into like a sort of like active and like somewhat like virtuous lifestyle is like this impression that you're given instantly and it, it it adds to the idea that they're going to be heroes in this way that's really impactful um and so i think when you like look at like a lot of the storytelling beats like that in the actual pilot um they're really strong and it does like it gives you the right impressions about the show the story the characters what to expect overall and, like, aside from a few complaints, like, giving Goldar the screen time that, like, the other goofy lieutenants had or some things like that, um, I, I can't really say that there's there's a lot that I would change. I think that there's a, you know, as I've been saying this whole time, there's a reason why this show became the most popular children's show by the, you know, the mid-late 90s um, on television. And it's, you know, uh, this this pilot really shows off a lot of the best of what they were capable of doing to make that happen. Grift? Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty in agreement there. I'd say probably like four out of ten on the on the lost pilot and then eight out of ten on the actual one. Um the the lost pilot definitely pretty pretty slapdash as far as the, the way they concluded and, and the and the performances in general and the way they tied it all together and the sort of hackiness of the the, the bowling alley setting the, the bowling alley alley setting at the beginning. Um I, I did like the more intense fight with the bullies in that one, but that was a small detail compared to overall everything else was worse. Like the less the less epic fight at the at the end, the the you know the morphing wasn't as cool, a lot of weird, weird casting and uh, performance choices. But yeah, o- overall, like, you know, just, and, and it makes the actual pilot that aired look even better in comparison because of how epic some of the, the shots from the, from the dinosaurs come in to join the fight. And the way the, like you were saying, you know, like the, the, the gym and juice bar, it's kind of weird, but it's, it's, it's unique. And it definitely sort of sets this show apart as, as far as like these are, um, the these are these are special characters in this unique environment, and it's a more creative writing choice. Um, so o- overall, yeah, no, as as far as kid shows go, you know, very very solid entertainment. Yeah. So I think for me, I would give the Lost Prologue a four out of ten, and yeah, I'll, I'm gonna go into that four out of ten a bit just because I feel like. For what they had and what they were trying to do, it's an admirable attempt, and I give them a solid four for that, but it doesn't really reach past those moments, right? There's, like, certain parts of the Lost Prologue where you're like, this is kind of like a six, right? Maybe even a seven, based off the Megazord fight, but overall, it's just too weird. There's too many creative decisions that were made in the Lost Prologue that just... It's too weird. Like, I I don't think that I would necessarily want to watch a show like this um, going forward. Like, I probably would watch it just a bit just because it seems a little bit interesting. But also, like, I watched, like, a couple of episodes of 
butt ugly Martians when I was like eight, right? <laughs> so like I wouldn't say my taste was necessarily good. But I think upon any sort of critical lens, the Lost Prologue just falls flat on its face a lot of times, uh, more so than it doesn't. Uh, for the initial pilot, I would give it a nine. Uh, like I said, giving Goldar more time to talk would have been much better. I don't think that there's too many issues I have with the actual Rangers themselves. The One of the only story beats that I don't like in the initial pilot is Zack saying, nah, man, let's go and let's get out of here. He doesn't request to be sent back to the school, like for them to get sent back to school so they go to the rock quarry. Right. I feel like that's like a missed sort of opportunity and it just kind of seems really dumb. So I'll, I'll deduct a point for that. Otherwise, and of course for the Goldar stuff, but otherwise I feel like it was an extremely strong pilot. I, I think I would give it a nine. And, you know, if I was born in like 86, 87, or even 85 or something like that, I would totally want to keep watching this. Uh, now, if you guys had never seen Power Rangers before, if you had just watched the pilot, would you continue watching it? And if you lived in an alternate universe and the pilot was the lost episode, would you continue watching Power Rangers? Um, I mean, if, if I saw this as a kid, I would be completely, I would be freaking out. This would be fucking sick. You know, you got dinosaurs fighting, you got a lot of, a lot of cool effects and colors. And I, I probably wouldn't even have noticed the difference between the American footage versus the Japanese footage. It would have felt like a whole, you know, uh, product in a, in a, in a, in a way that obviously now we can sort of see through the, you know, like, okay, we see this comes from one source and this, the other, but as a, as a, kid it would have felt like one uh you know you know seamless production that was done at all at one time so i mean if i like if i was like of the target audience of this show if i had seen probably both even though the lost pilot is obviously worse quality wise i i probably definitely would have kept watching i mean just for the for the dinosaurs alone i would have been like pogged out you know (laughs) i've been sick um but um yeah, no, it was uh, especially the especially the actual pilot that aired. They would like, yeah, definitely, definitely would have kept watching. Kennedy, I mean, for the actual pilot, for sure, yeah, like I, I, I would have kept watching. And I mean, I can say I was born in nineteen ninety, and like I started watching Power Rangers when I was very young, and it did hook me like instantly the first time I saw it. So, you know, uh, I, I can definitely say with confidence that like I would have kept watching that. Um, the lost pilot, I don't know. I feel like I probably wouldn't have. I really do. Cause like, I just think about like the things that compel me the most when I watch the pilot, uh, and like what, like feels exciting and like, like what, like kind of just, you know, makes me just like, oh yeah, this is badass, you know, or like, you know, just have any kind of like strong visceral reaction like that. Um, I didn't really feel any of that when I was watching the lost pilot, like at all. Um, so I just don't know that I would have kept watching, uh, because without all of the like specific appeal of like these characters and the reasons why I'm supposed to like them and all this, I don't know. It's just, it's tough. I get that. I, I, I kind of agree in a sense. Uh, so I, a thousand percent, obviously I would watch after the initial pilot. I think it was really, really strong. Um, the Lost Prologue, though, I feel is more age-dependent. I think, depending on the age, I would have continued or not continued. I think if I was, like, above the age of, like, maybe 10, I would be more leaning towards a no. I would have not continued watching it. Because it's just too weird. Yeah. There's too many weird choices in it that really alienate American audiences to a point where it just doesn't seem worth it. 
uh, to continue watching. Like, I probably would have flipped channels the minute that they started anamorphing. I think, uh, for certain. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, like, that's kind of just where I stand on, on the Lost Prologue. It's definitely really cool that we got to see what could have been, so that way we could just be like, this is the correct timeline for Power Rangers, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but Griff Shop, I think the ultimate question here is, now that you've watched the pilot and the Lost Prologue, would you continue watching Power Rangers? Are, are you going to watch any more? On my own time, probably not. But I would love to watch another one for the show. Just because, <laughs> you know, there's there's there, there's so much media out there. So tough to choose. Probably not going to watch a kid's show from the 90s. But, I mean, chopping it up with, with uh, you guys, so much fun. So definitely, definitely would, would love to return and, and watch watch some more of the canon. I'm sure that's very possible. We appreciate you coming by to be a part of this, of course. Hell yeah. yeah, for sure. Grift, uh, before we head out, is there anything you would love to plug? Uh, just uh, grift.shop. That's the that's that's the merch site. Uh, you know, I have tons and tons of designs and products up there. So just uh, go to that site and, you know, if you see anything you like, uh, cop it. Hell yeah. Awesome. Rangers, thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to rate our podcast five stars on iTunes and Stitcher. Subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them. And as always, you can find Kennedy and I on Twitter. I am at Gravcast, and Kennedy is at Kennedy T. Cooper. Stay safe, Rangers, and may the power protect you. <laughs>